Hey everyone, I'm Ben Norton, and this is Geopolitical Economy Report. Here I've spent a lot of time discussing the U.S. blockade against Cuba. According to international law, this is illegal, but the United States has maintained an economic embargo against Cuba for more than 60 years. And every single year at the United Nations General Assembly, there is a vote in which over 95% of the, the countries around the world condemn the U.S. blockade of Cuba. The most recent vote was in November 2022. And at the United Nations, there are 193 member states. 185 voted to condemn the U.S. blockade. And only two countries voted to support the U.S. blockade. That was the United States and Israel. And there were two countries that abstained, which is Ukraine and Brazil. At that time, Brazil was still governed by the far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, and he has since left office, and now the left-wing president, Lula da Silva, is back. So basically, the only countries in the world who support the U.S. blockade against Cuba are the U.S. and Israel, and maybe Ukraine. And we see with the proxy war in Ukraine that Ukraine is more and more basically an extension of the U.S. and NATO. It's not very much a sovereign country. So why does the United States continue to maintain this blockade against Cuba after 60 years, despite the fact that everyone in the world is against it? Well, all we have to do is look at a cable that was published by the State Department, the Office of the Historian, back in 1960. And this is a memo from then the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Inter-American Affairs, writing to the Assistant Secretary of State for Inter-American Affairs. And in that, the, the 1960 memo is titled The Decline and Fall of Castro, referring, of course, to Fidel Castro, who was the Cuban revolutionary leader in charge at this moment. And in this extremely important and revealing State Department document, you see a top State Department official acknowledge, quote, the majority of Cubans support Castro. There is no effective political opposition. And they say, the only foreseeable means of alienating internal support is through disenchantment and disaffection based on economic dissatisfaction and hardship. So they want to make life more difficult, more painful for average Cubans in order to make them turn against the government. And the State Department said very clearly in this memo in 1960, quote, every possible means should be undertaken promptly to weaken the economic life of Cuba. And they said that the U.S. government should, quote, make the greatest inroads in denying money and supplies to Cuba to decrease monetary and real wages to bring about hunger, desperation, and overthrow of government. So that is the goal of the U.S. embargo or blockade against Cuba for over 60 years. The goal is to bring about hunger, desperation, and overthrow of government. It is stated as clearly as possible in this document from the U.S. State Department from 1960. Now, this brings me to the main topic of discussion for this episode today, which is about a former analyst for the U.S. intelligence community who recognized the fact that Washington's policy towards Cuba is criminal and immoral and murderous, has led to countless Cubans dying, and she decided to try to help Cuba, and the U.S. government imprisoned her for 20 years. Her name is Ana Belén Montes, 
and she was just released from prison on January 6th after 20 years. Montes is Puerto Rican, and because Puerto Rico is a U.S. colony, one of the oldest colonies still in the entire world, that means that people in Puerto Rico have U.S. citizenship, and I've done reporting here and interviews with Puerto Rican activists discussing how the U.S. government has removed all economic sovereignty from Puerto Rico, imposing an unelected fiscal control board that has imposed uh, neoliberal austerity policies that have made life very difficult for, for indigenous Puerto Ricans, Boricuans, who have many of whom have had to, to leave the country, they leave what should be an independent country, Puerto Rico, their land of birth, and instead move to the United States. And at the same time, the U.S. government has numerous policies that encourage a kind of colonial gentrification of Puerto Rico by having tax cuts um, for rich people who want to move there. And basically, they push up the prices of real estate, which means that, you know, Boricuans, indigenous Puerto Ricans who were born and raised there can't afford to live there because the cost of living keeps rising. And yet the fiscal control board appointed by the U.S., unelected by the Puerto Rican people, continues to cut the minimum wage and refuses to increase it so they can't afford. The indigenous Puerto Ricans can't afford to actually live there. Anyway, the point is that Ana Belen Montes is Puerto Rican, and she has been motivated also by her, her sense of injustice and anger at the U.S. colonial abuse of her homeland, of Puerto Rico. The point is that she eventually joined the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, which is part of the U.S. intelligence uh, community. And she worked her way up and became an analyst. And she was the top Cuba analyst for the DIA. But what the U.S. government didn't know is that she was actually giving information to Cuba about U.S. violent attacks that were being planned against civilian areas about the U.S. sabotage operations targeting infrastructure in Cuba. So she gave information exposing the crimes that the U.S. government was carrying out systematically against Cuba. And I'll talk about those later, including the CIA has been involved in blowing up civilian Cuban airliners, blowing up civilian hotels. I mean, just destroying civilian areas and unleashing terror in Cuba. That's what the U.S. government has sponsored for decades in Cuba. So. Ana Belén Montes was motivated, motivated by her profound sense of anger at this injustice, and she gave information to Cuba, and she was discovered, and she was arrested in 2001, and in 2002, she was charged with espionage, and she was sentenced to 25 years in prison. She served 20 years, and on January 6th, she was released, but she's still not totally free, she, did, she was able to go back to her homeland of Puerto Rico, but she is still under U.S. government monitoring for five years, and all of her internet use is, is restricted and monitored. So she still is basically under a kind of house arrest, basically for about five years here, or basically a kind of parole for five years. Now, when she was released, Anabel Montes, through her lawyer, released a statement and this didn't really get coverage in the English language press, but it did get a lot of coverage in the Spanish language press. And I got access to the Spanish language statement and I translated it. And I just want to read her statement here because I think it's important to listen to the perspective of people like Ana Belén Montes, who are uni universally in the Western English language media portrayed as villains. She's portrayed as an evil spy for the so-called Cuban regime in scare quotes. 
and we never get to hear her side of the story. Well, I'm going to hear what she has to say here, and I'm going to read the English translation that I did of her comment that she released in Spanish. She said, I am happier than ever to touch Boricuan soil again. And uh, I, as I said earlier, Boricua is, a refer is a, the name used by indigenous Puerto Ricans. People, you know, Puerto Rico can be called Borinquen. Borinquen is the name used, indigenous, the indigenous name used. I mean, Puerto Rico is obviously a colonial name that was applied later on. So she says, I am happier than ever to touch Borinquen soil again after two quite exhausting decades in prison, that is, and with the need to go back to earning a living, I would like to dedicate myself to a quiet and private existence. Therefore, I will not participate in any media activities. I encourage those who want to focus on me to instead focus on important issues such as the serious problems that the Puerto Rican people face or the United States economic embargo against Cuba. And here's the money quote of her comments. Who in the last 60 years has asked the Cuban people if they want the United States to impose a suffocating embargo on them that makes them suffer? What also deserves attention is the urgent need for global cooperation that stops and reverses the destruction of our environment. I, as a person, am irrelevant. I am not important. While there exist grave problems in our world homeland that demand attention and a demonstration of brotherly love. Now, this is a very beautiful and profound statement coming from someone who has every right to be angry after spending 20 years in a cage locked up by the U.S. government for trying to help the people of Cuba while the U.S. was carrying out violent attacks against them and sabotaging their country and imposing a blockade on them that has led to countless deaths in the goal of bringing about hunger, desperation, and overthrow of government, which is exactly what I quoted from the State Department. This is someone who was working in the U.S. government and was motivated by her sense of moral outrage at the crimes that Washington has carried out against the people of Cuba for six decades, and she wanted to do something about it and suffered serious consequences. And the U.S. government tried to break her with 20 years in prison, and they could not break her. And there's something very admirable about that. She could not be broken. Now, what's also admirable about this is she says very clearly, this is not about me. This is about the issues. She names the issues of the suffering of the people of Puerto Rico who are under uh, bru uh, suffering under brutal U.S. colonization. She raises the issue of the illegal U.S. embargo against Cuba that continues after 60 years and is suffocating and makes the Cuban people suffer. And she talks about the need for global cooperation to protect the environment against climate change. Now, I wanna briefly go through, I should also say that I wanted to try to interview Ana Belen Montes here, but her lawyer said that she's not gonna be doing any interviews, that she wants people to respect her request for privacy. So that's why I wanted to read her statements. But I also here want to go through the declaration, the speech that Ana Belen Montes gave in 2002 when she was about to be convicted at her trial. And this is one of those speeches that basically could be like from a movie, right? Like one of those courthouse drama movies where there's this final speech given by someone who's 
going to be either sentenced to death or proven innocent or something. And, you know, it's like Atticus Finch or something. And, and, and there's this beautiful, you know, string music behind. I mean, listen to, I'm not going to read all of it because it's a very long speech, but listen to some of the comments that, she, that comments that she made in this speech that she gave before she was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Ana Belén Montes said, she said that there's a proverb that all the world is one country and in such a world country, the principle of loving one's neighbor as much as oneself seems to me to be the essential guide to harmonious relations between our nation neighborhoods. And she says that this principle urges tolerance and understanding for the different ways of others. It asks that we treat other nations the way we wish to be treated with respect and compassion. It is a principle that tragically, I believe we have never applied to Cuba. Your honor, I engaged in the activity that brought me before you because I obeyed my conscience rather than the law. I believe our government's policy toward Cuba is cruel and unfair, profoundly unneighborly, and I felt morally obligated to help the island defend itself from our efforts to impose our values and our political system on it. We have displayed intolerance and contempt toward Cuba for most of the last four decades. Remember, she's speaking in 2002 here. We have never respected Cuba's right to make its own journey toward its own ideals of equality and justice. I do not understand why we must continue to dictate how the Cubans should select their leaders, who their leaders cannot be, and what laws are appropriate in their land. She said that she gave the island classified information to help it defend itself. So here you can see that she could be considered a prisoner of conscience. She was acting, as she said, based on her conscience rather than the law. And her conscience told her that what the U.S. government was doing to the people of Cuba is immoral. And that's what international law also says. So you could say that, okay, she violated domestic U.S. law, but she was also trying to help to go along with international law, which the U.S. is violating. So that's why many people around the world considered Ana Belén Montes to be a prisoner of conscience when she was imprisoned for 20 years. And like I said, I should emphasize that technically, yes, she's no longer in prison physically, but she still has restrictions on her liberty for five more years. So I wanted to talk about her case because it's not that well known. And when she is discussed in the Western media, she's portrayed as this nefarious evil character. But you need to hear her perspective. And I think when you do hear her perspective and when you consider what the U.S. government has done to Cuba, it suddenly becomes much more reasonable, right? Now, before concluding here today, I want to talk about one other very important factor that might explain why someone like Ana Belén Montes would be motivated by her moral conscience to carry out an act like this because she worked for the U.S. Department of Defense. She had access to intelligence. And if we know about the history of the U.S. Department of Defense, the Pentagon, we know of something called Operation Northwood. That was a U.S. military operation in which Washington planned to carry out false flag attacks, terror attacks inside Cuba, and then to blame those on Cuban communists in order to justify a U.S. military invasion of Cuba.
Here I'm reading from the documents that were published by a very good researcher on focused on Cuba named Helen Yaffe, a professor, author of good books on Cuba. She did a really good Twitter thread looking at some of these main documents that were published, declassified documents that show that have provided, you know, firm documentate docu documented evidence of Operation Nor Northwood, this U.S. military false flag operation targeting Cuba. She notes that this document proposes shocking acts of terrorism to be carried out by the CIA and other U.S. agencies against U.S. military and civilian targets and Cubans to be blamed on the Cuban government. And they noted that the goal was that world opinion and the United Nations should be favorably affected by developing the international image of the Cuban government as rash and irresponsible and as an alarming and unpredictable threat to the peace of the Western Hemisphere. They proposed provocations, terrorism, and sabotage around the U.S. naval base at Guantanamo Bay, which of course still today is occupied by the U.S. and is used to, to hold prisoners in horrific conditions where they have been tortured, oftentimes without trial even without charges sometimes. They said that a remember the main incident could be arranged, including blowing up ships and drones, blaming the Cuban government. They said that another proposal was that a Cuban communist terror campaign in the Miami area, or even Miami, even in Washington. And of course, when they say a Cuban communist terror campaign, that would be carried out by a CIA asset, a US government asset, and then falsely blamed on Cuba, falsely blamed on communists. They also proposed hijacking airplanes, including civilian airplanes. They also implied attacking a Cuban aircraft and shooting down a civilian airliner, which is exactly what happened later on, by the way. The US, the CIA was linked to this, the blowing up of a Cuban civilian airliner that killed an entire sports team. And she notes that President Kennedy, JFK, ended up rejecting Operation Northwood, which was a factor in why he was assassinated in 1963. She noted that another president might have given the green light. Worth remembering when you hear calls for a U.S. so-called humanitarian or military intervention in Cuba today. And finally, I'm not going to go through all of these documents because they're long and I, I want to keep this video and podcast short. But anyone who's interested in taking a look at these declassified documents on the Operation Northwood program, from 1962, you can go to the National Security Archives, that is nsarchive2.gw.edu, and they have really interesting materials here, I mean, uh, that show very clearly, these are the, this is the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the leaders of the U.S. military, discussing ways that they would provide justification for U.S. military intervention in Cuba, and they say very clearly that they propose false flag terror attacks on civilian areas both in Cuba and in Miami, in Florida, and blaming them falsely on Cuba. And the goal was to, quote, provide justification for U.S. military intervention in Cuba. So this explains why someone like Ana Belén Montes would have been motivated to share this kind of information with Cuba when she was the top Cuba analyst at the USDIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency. We, we might never know exactly what information she had access to, what kind of plot she knew about, the violence they involved, the sabotage they involved, Cuban civilians being involved. But when we, if we can read from history, we can assume what could have happened 
and potentially what could have been averted by someone like Ana Valen Montes sharing that information with Cuba in order to pr pr protect civilians and protect Cuban lives. And she was punished and she spent 20 years in prison for that. So that shows that the U.S. government is more than willing to punish whistleblowers who expose its crimes. We see what the U.S. is doing to Julian Assange, the world's most famous journalist, trying to throw him in prison for the rest of his life for the so-called crime of doing journalism and exposing its crimes against international law and its war crimes. We see that the threats that the U.S. government has made toward Edward Snowden, who can never come home because he exposed the crimes, the illegal espionage, the illegal surveillance, mass surveillance carried out by the U.S. government. And Ana Belén Montes is someone who was caught and who did face the consequences for 20 years in prison, and they could not break her. She continued defending the people of Cuba against this criminal act of war that the U.S. has carried out and the blockade. So if you want to find links to this information and you want to read more for yourself, I have a link in the description below to this article that I wrote about Cuba, the blockade and Ana Valen Montes. Thank you for watching or listening. Please consider subscribing and please consider supporting this show. You can go to geopoliticaleconomy.com slash support, or you can become a patron over at Patreon. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next time.